This is the Bad Hops Podcast, a baseball podcast where we discuss everything but the box score. So if you're looking for the career on base percentage of John Tight Pants Titus or the pinch hitting stats for Jerry the Hat Lynch, this is not the place. But if you believe that players deserve comfortable, breathable cotton uniforms, welcome. We're your hosts. I'm Mark Butler. And I'm Jackie McCucci. And today it's time to suit up and look sharp. Welcome to Bad Hops. You might have guessed what we're talking about. And that's once again, it's talking about George Costanza. Why are you talking about the uniforms that George Costanza? Why can't it be this poly blend? We should have them in wool again. The heavier the fabric, the better, because I think what you really want is baseball players making weight like wrestlers in Mm -hmm. high school that would wear trash bags, right? That would essentially like sweat out five pounds of water to come in underweight. Maybe you'll steal more bases that way. I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine what it must have been like to play in the dog days of summer and August afternoon, just head to toe in wool. That must have been, and to and to then, you know, have to play at a high level. Must have been a good time for all. And some of these games were played in flannel or wool before ice. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're, are we going back to the 1800s, Mark? Is that what you're... No, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah okay. we're, we're going way, way back. No, I mean, ice was available if you had a savvy community that was storing ice taken off of the lakes in the winter. But yeah, let's wear a hot uniform on a hot day. Why not? Well, today we're going to take a look at two very special years in the history of baseball. Unsurprisingly, I'm going to take the older one. Jackie's going to be a little more modern, although we're not that far apart. But let's get 2022 up in here first, because there's an elephant in the locker room, and it's called City Connect. Oh, Mark, you don't love the City Connect uniforms? You don't love like a monochromatic uniform with weird touches that have to be explained to you how they relate to the city, like having the area code on your left shoulder or something ridiculous like that you don't you don't uh you don't enjoy the like the all green colorado rockies uniform i love a good reboot and i love a good like hey let's mess with something and see if we can put a new spin on it and i'm waiting for somebody to do a good reboot and to put a good modern spin on something because what i'm seeing on these city connect uniforms which are special uniforms the marketing program with nike it started last year in Major League Baseball. This program started in 2016 in the NBA and teams had alternate uniforms. The most notable one was Golden State because that was during the period where the Golden State Warriors were in their ascendancy. There's just said the city. and had a, (laughs) uh, a, A graphic of the Golden Gate Bridge and it didn't really say anything. It didn't say Golden State, it didn't say Warriors. It was kind of mysterious and kind of cool. Portland Trailblazers had their Rip City slogan take over and replace the words Portland and or Trailblazers on there. So that was also kind of a cool thing. Yeah, when it comes to baseball, we've had six years to get ready for this. And yeah, kind of how I feel. Which was the first team who did it? Because I do remember the the Miami Marlins, and I honestly didn't mind the Miami Marlins one as much one as much as I um kind of really not like some of the others. I don't remember who was the first one. 
they have, because because they've essentially I think they're doing seven a year and they're all kind of hitting pretty fast. The one that I noticed first, mm-hmm. and that's what's really more important rather than actual well, accurate history here. Of course. What did you what did you notice first, Mark? Please tell us. The Boston Yellow and Blue Sox City Connect jersey. That it, one actually doesn't bother me as much, mainly because I feel like that City Connect uniform does connect back to the city of Boston with the colors. That is the city of Boston's colors. However, you're the Red Sox and now you're wearing a yellow and blue jersey. But I thought that one actually didn't bother me as much as some of the others that came after afterward. That's my personal opinion. That's my fashion opinion. Well, apart from the Red Sox jerseys looking a little bit like a DHL package, <laughs> I suppose it's okay. And again, this is the thing with these like uniforms. Somebody has to explain it to you. I didn't realize the city of Boston's colors were yellow and blue. I don't know. Yeah. Well, if you actually, if you had ever seen the Boston Marathon, you would have known. That's my Northeast bias coming in here. But that's, that's the, the city of Boston does have a flag. You will see that color a lot around marathon time. So that, that one didn't surprise me. That one actually made sense to me. But there's one that you know that I love. I'm, I'm making a note to uh, zing you in a future episode about you not knowing enough about NASCAR. And then I'm also <laughs> making a note saying I need to learn something about NASCAR in order to zing you with. I'm bagging on Boston. What's what's your problem? What's my problem? San Diego. Oh, that, yeah. I mean, that uniform, it reminds me of something that you'd wear in like the late 80s, early 90s when all that neon was very very popular, except they look like they should be working in like a some type of like, quote unquote, cool ice cream shop. It, there is so much color and I have no idea what I mean. Are those the colors of the city of San Diego's flag? Maybe maybe that's maybe my bad. I didn't realize that. I took one look at those Padres uniforms, which came out this year. I said, Jamaican me crazy. Ooh. Because it looked like kind of like a beach bar setup. And I know it's mm-hmm. it's actually meant to be an homage to Tijuana. And oh, so there's there's a lot of that. colors from the Mexican culture, which okay. is, you know, literally steps away, uh, depending on where you start in San Diego. So I'm also a little bit of a Where's Waldo sort of thing. It's like, can you find all of the references to our community yep. on here? I think the yeah. Brewers, the Brew Crew one, which I would have... I would have almost ordered sight unseen a, a jersey that said Brew Crew because I lo- I just think that's one of the best nicknames in baseball. Oh my god, it's got the airport code overlaid with the area code, and then the stripes on the sleeves are meant to be a beer that's being poured, and it's like oh wow, it's that's just a deep dive. It's kind of like the infinite jest of baseball <laughs> uniforms. And I do love using, I think the area codes and the airport codes have come up on a number of them. So they do love using that. That seems to be something they tap into. But like you said, it is a where's Waldo. Like it has to be explained to you. Obviously, I jumped all over you about the city of Boston, but you know, it's not that obvious for people who aren't familiar with the with the the city of Boston or the Boston area. There's too much explaining. And also the information is. For, for some of it, like the area code and whatever, it's not that interesting. So, you know, give me give me something that might be like, the, I think there, there's one of them, there's a font that there might be the Dodgers, but the font calls back to something else like there. So, I mean, 
we're talking obscure. So it is definitely a where's Waldo. I think that's a really good analogy for trying to figure out how these jerseys connect to the city. The name of the program didn't really register with me because I don't think they are connected with the cities. I live in abject terror of what they're going to do when they get to the Yankees. The Dodgers had one, right? They they did one too. And that one, that's an, like, don't touch, don't, don't touch that uniform. Like, and that was another ridiculous Where's Waldo one as well. I think, it, and the solid colors, like, you know, they're kind of fun, the solid colors, whatever, you know, for every now and then, but it's just the weird stuff that's all over it. I mentioned the Golden State Warriors. Keep it simple. So it just said the city. It had one graphic representation on it. Let it be direct. Let it be powerful. Let it make an impact. And okay, baseball games are really long. I know. But you're not going to sit there and stare at the guy's sleeve and say, oh, I wonder if I can make out what that's supposed to mean. And also, you can't. I have watched games where I, I can't, like, I couldn't make out that there was patterning. It just looked like a solid color on the screen. So I would have to go in and look on, you know, Instagram or Twitter and see a, a photo, a detail, like a close-up photo. Like, oh, there's detailing on it. Like, you're not going to pick it up. You're not picking it up from the stands. You're not picking it up on TV. So, like, these little nuances go unnoticed. But it sells New Jersey, so that's what it's all about. Yeah. Any any of them working for you? Sort of like the White Sox one, mainly because it's all black, I think. <laughs> but in general, some of them are fine. Some of them are hideous, but I don't really, I can't say I have a favorite at this point. But I, you know, I'm old. I'm a traditionalist. I do like the Diamondbacks, which is one of the simplest ones. Mm. And it's sort of the, the color of the desert. And it says Serpientes on it. And it's all snaky looking and it's just kind of badass, right? And that's, imagine that, a uniform that actually sort of strikes terror in your opponent. That's kind of like, oh, these guys look tough. To your point about all the stuff on it, do you think like, because with the you know, basketball uniforms, you only have so much real estate, right? You're wearing a tank top and shorts. Like, do you think that maybe the problem is there's too much real estate on a baseball uniform so you can just put a whole bunch of crap on it? To that end, I have to say the one that really got me, I kind of like the Royals one. And that's the one that's getting bagged on because it just looks like an alternate uniform. It does. These are also alternate, alternate uniforms. uniforms. It's true. It takes a lot of the graphic representation of the city of Kansas City, the city of Fountains, a lot of overlap with graphic design and font use. But the thing that really caught me <laughs> there's something on the inside of the collar of these jerseys because yeah. I know that's where you're looking first is on the inside of someone's jersey. And it just says, hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, hey. It, what's the significance? Well, I was kind of hoping that it was going to be like, hey, you shouldn't be looking on the inside of my collar. <laughs> I mean, there's something to that. And I need to caution you four times. It is a reference to the song they play at the seventh inning stretch. And I will say that it is automatically better than what the Mariners are playing now. Thanks, Macklemore. They play a medley of Kansas City and a song called Hey, 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 Hey. It's performed by the Beatles. But the Hey, 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 Hey part is actually a Little Richard song that they've smushed in as a medley and it's drawn from a song of his called Going Back to Birmingham. So it's actually a medley of songs that refer to going back to Kansas City and going back to Birmingham. And then okay. a lot of hey, 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 hey's. 
So that seemed important to put on the inside, inside of the, of the collar. collar of the uniform. Soccer uniforms will often have something, especially at the national team uniforms will have something inside the collar that says something significant, you know, like the, the motto of the team or something. So maybe that's what the homage is to, but it's usually something more that like kind of tied into uh, like a bigger connect to the team than, Hey, 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 Hey. So good luck. You've got about 16 teams left on the city connect program. And I think we're done for this year. So we'll see what what the marketing geniuses at Nike come up with next time, but do better. Yeah, do better. When we come back, well, I don't know. You've got me kind of rattled, Jackie. I have no idea what you're going to talk about because I thought we were looking back, but now you're telling me that we're looking forward. I don't know. And we're going back to the future, but when we come back. We'll solve that mystery right after this. Get your jet pack on and put on your moon boots because we are heading into outer space and going in that DeLorean so we can go back to the future. So I picked the year 1999. And I picked that year because that was the year of the turn ahead the clock promotion. However, the first turn ahead the clock promotion was in 1998, not 1999, just so you know, but that's okay. That's okay. I'm going to explain it, how this all came to be. The concept was the brainchild of Kevin Martinez, who is the marketing director for your Seattle Mariners. So we have the Seattle Mariners to thank for the turn ahead the clock phenomenon or whatever you want to call it. We're a very future focused city here. Of course, when you think of the future, the first thing you think of, what will clothes look like in the future? For sure. Well, not even just clothes. What will baseball uniforms look like in the future? So Martinez, who he's actually, he's a, he's a nice guy. I follow him on Twitter and he's, you know, he seems to know what he's doing. He, he came up with the idea to have futuristic jerseys from the year 2027. The year 2027 was chosen because that is going to be the Mariners' 50th anniversary. Will they have won a World Series by then? Will they? Because it's not that far away, you guys. It's not that far away. I'm going to put money on no. We got to get to the playoffs again first. Maybe 2037 or I don't know. So, yeah, so that was his idea. So the kingdom was given a futuristic atmosphere. They had advertising from the future and references to interplanetary teams on the scoreboard. And the first pitch was thrown out by James Dewan Scotty from Star Trek. He came out in a DeLorean and he threw the first pitch. Wow. And I'm guessing that he threw the pitch and then said, I'm giving it all she's got. Exactly. It can't go any further. According to Martinez, Ken Griffey Jr. was instrumental in the design of the jerseys, and he came up with the idea to change the Mariners' colors from navy, teal, and white to crimson, black, and silver. I could not find out why he picked those colors, but that was Griffey. I guess he, you know, maybe it's closer to what the Cincinnati Reds were, where I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of, like, what sort of futuristic space movie has those colors involved all. I can think of as Cylons. 
Maybe you really like the Cylons. Maybe. I mean, the silver I get, right? Silver is kind of futuristic. I don't know. The metallic colors seem to be futuristic. Things that look like they're on a space suit or on a spaceship. He came up with the colors. Majestic Athletic, who at that time was manufacturing the jerseys for Major League Baseball, they worked with the Mariners marketing department to come up with the uniforms. The jersey front featured an oversized compass rose, you know, the compass that's on there had a big, big compass rose. The players wore silver helmets with the players' numbers on the front and the Mariners logo on the side. Now, we were talking about this team before, the Mariners' opponents for the promotion, which took place, by the way, on July 18th, 1998, were the Kansas City Royals. The Royals, and there's a great shot of a very young Johnny Damon wearing the uniform and looking a little perplexed in it and very clean shaven, very young, just kind of like, huh, what am I, why am I here in Seattle wearing this weird uniform? They wore yellow gold vests with royal blue sleeves and white pants that were trimmed in blue and gold. They also wore gold helmets and their caps had a gold bill on it. Some of the Mariners, like Griffey, they played with the jerseys untucked and turned their baseball caps backwards. I actually found a YouTube uh, video where the announcers were vociferously debating about their, the, the fact that these guys had their uniforms untucked. Like, is that in the rules? Like, some of them have them tucked, some of them have them untucked. I think that's, you know, isn't it a uniform? You're supposed to, you know, everything has to be uniform. It's a, I mean, it literally went on for five minutes. It's days. the future, baby. <laughs> The future, you can untuck if you want. But somehow that sounds dirty. I don't know why. Yeah, I guess well, like, uh, that did foresee the creation of untucked, the yeah. shirt for sloppy guys. That's right. The shirt for sloppy guys. And our, our boy, uh, the, the closer, Mr. Untuck himself, after he would get a save. Who was that again? He would untuck his jersey. He was he was with the Mariners. He was, you know, he would shoot an arrow in the oh. air. Fernando Rodney. Yes, he was Mr. Untuck. But yeah, that was after the game. I didn't notice he was untucking his jersey. I was just waiting for that dumb arrow. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Anyway, it was decided, by the way, that it was against the rules to have your shirt untucked. The umpires who said that it gave the batters an unfair advantage because they're, you know, they're long jerseys that were flowy that you can get. It would be easier to get hit by a pitch. We recently did an episode about 10,000 children storming the field. That caused a game to be forfeited. We talked about a riot on the field on 10 cent beer night. So, yeah, I can see that this is where Major League Baseball needs to really put their time and energy into cracking down on people who didn't tuck their shirts in. Yeah, this was the hill that the umpires were wanted to die on. Like you oh, had to keep... the humanity. Oh, the humanity. The umpires, by the way, wore silver pants. Wasn't able to find any good shots of the umpires in their silver pants. Don't know if it was like silver, like spandex pants. Could you imagine like Joe West in <laughs> silver spandex pants? Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's an image you want to get out of your brain really quickly. Additionally, um, Griffey painted his teammates' baseball cleats with silver paint, and he also convinced them to cut off the sleeves of their uniforms. So it sounds a little bit like when they were doing the Players' Weekend, right? Like when people were painting their cleats and putting silly names on the back of their jerseys. It also sounds like a Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland movie where it's like, hey, let's put on a show at the 
kingdom, you guys. We had Majestic make these uniforms, but now let's cut them up. Exactly. Let's cut them up. Let's show off our big biceps. Yeah, it was steroid era. A lot of people were very beefy, so they were able to show off their big biceps. Yeah. Storing your juice uh, flask inside your uh, untucked jersey, too. Anyway, not content to leave this abomination in the Pacific Northwest, in 1999, uh, Major League Baseball sold the promotion concept to Century 21 Real Estate. I'm going to be parsing that sentence for quite a long time tonight. You, you should. You should. Anyway, Mark, here's the part of, we're going to get to. Eight teams did not participate. Eight teams in total did not participate. Any guess which ones? I'm going to guess the storied old ladies of Major League Baseball. I'm going to say Chicago Cubs. Yep. New York Yankees. Of course. Boston Red Sox? Nope, they participated. What? Uh, yeah. Okay. Dodgers. Yep, didn't participate either. Give me, okay. give me the rest. I I'll did give you the rest. There. You did very good. I, I mean, those are the ones I would guess. The others that did not participate were the Toronto Blue Jays, the Texas Rangers, the Cincinnati Reds, the Montreal Expos. Remember them? Oh, yeah. We'll be talking about the... The Expos in a little bit as well. And the Houston Astros. So you had, yes, the Grand Old Dams who did not participate except for Boston, which quite honestly that they shouldn't have if you saw these uniforms. Like, don't do this, Boston. I mean, the City Connect uniforms were better. Um, so they did not participate. So, Mark, that is why you don't remember the Cubs wearing the uniforms because they did not wear those ridiculous uniforms. If you're a Cubs fan living in Chicago, which I was at the time, you studiously avoided any references to the White Sox, and I assume that they had a dumb uniform. They did. Okay. Not as dumb as you're going to talk about later, but pretty dumb. Oh, yeah. This is all, apparently, <laughs> history does repeat, and it poor does. choices are made throughout generations in baseball. Especially for certain teams. Certain teams seem to make poor fashion choices throughout history. The participating teams, they wore these special, not quite sleeveless, they're kind of like cap sleeves. So it was kind of the worst of both worlds where you had like, you know, you look like almost look like a little little girl's dress, those cap sleeves. So they weren't sleeveless. They didn't have sleeves. They had like the cap sleeves with oversized front logos. And the players' last names were printed on the side instead of on the, you know, on the back. It was on the side with the number in the back. So that was a thing. So instead of going across horizontally, they went across vertically. That somehow is futuristic. I'm not really sure. And the uniform changes range from subtle, although there wasn't anything quite so subtle about these uniforms. So for example, the St. Louis Cardinals, they changed the birds on the bat on the front of their uni. They went from having real cardinals on there to robotic birds. But then there were teams like the Braves that they pretty much looked almost exactly the same, except they were dark blue and sleeveless. I'm going to get into more of the ridiculousness in a moment, but let's take a break. And then, Mark, I want you to tell me a little bit about what you found about the regular uniforms that players were wearing in 1999. Well, Jackie, you've been talking about the turn ahead the clock promotion as a result when you go back through the googler and you try to find regular season 1999 mlb uniforms everything that comes up in the search results 
are these turn ahead the clock jerseys? So all you see is this super loud, larger than life, weird looking stuff. And it almost now feels like, and this is, I guess, a good reminder, be careful what you Google, because you might find that you're revising history in, in the process. Those jerseys were worn, what, like for a week or so? Yeah, I think they were just worn for like a series. I think they were worn more than like three games. As a result of this thing, which took over, and of course, that's all anybody with an opinion on the internet wants to talk about from 1999, is, oh, look at those jerseys, they're so stupid. There's a a bunch of Jackie and Marks out there. (laughs) A lot of them. But writing it instead of talking about it, that's where we've got them beat. Of course, in 1999, we still had the fabulous Mr. Blackwell. So I want to talk about what's hot and what's not in regular season 1999 uniforms. So first of all, what's hot? The Minnesota Twins. They had a pretty cool looking black jersey and white pinstripe pants combination, which I think was new or new-ish. And it just looked kind of tough. It kind of looked like, okay, these guys are kind of bruisers. We didn't see a lot of black jerseys with kind of midnight black style. So I'm going to shout that one out. What's not working is the Houston Astros uniforms, which have a big star. The word Houston coming out of the star, kind of like a combination of the Carl's Jr. logo and the more you know public service announcements. So that's oh, definitely... I, like, I like that. I would have worn the the, the more you know logo. <laughs> I would have worn the more you know logo, but I'm not going to turn into an Astros thing. Definitely not. Maybe it was an homage. The more you know, the more you cheat. I don't know. But this is how complicated 1999 was. And granted, we all had a lot on our minds. All computers were going to shut down. Remember? I do. Y2K. Y2K mania. The New York Mets had a awesome uniform. It was an all black uniform that had the Mets logo with just a little bit of white stitching, but a, a dark blue Mets uh, tag on the front of the jersey, which I thought looked cool. I, obviously, black jerseys are really doing it for me. Yeah, I mean, that's they were known as the Mets in black, because men in black, Mets Oh, in black. nice. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. But then they also had a hideous-looking blue jersey with an orange New York written on it, which was a font that looked like it was designed by a kid with a broken hand. Oh, I, I don't mean to elicit sympathy because these jerseys are, are kind of gross. So it was the best of times and the worst of times out there at Shea Stadium. So that's my report on regular season uniforms. Go on to the 37th page of Google Images, and you might be able to see some of them. The best result to find them is to actually look at baseball cards from that season because Tops did not screw around with this turn ahead the clock business. Thank God for Tops. I'm going to talk more about those lovely uniforms from 1999, the turn ahead the clock uniforms. I'm going to talk about my favorites. And by favorites, I mean the most hideous. And and by most hideous, you will be posting all of this on our social media so that you can feast your eyes on this garbage time. I will have to have multiple posts because there were so many, so much... Well, I want a good imagery, but there there is a lot of imagery, a lot of pictures of these monstrosities. So my favorites were the New York Mets. And the New York Mets, they just went for it. They changed their name to the Mercury Mets 
because being from an uninhabitable planet seemed more futuristic, I guess. I mean, <laughs> you know, why Mercury? I don't know, because it you know, works, the symmetry works with Mets, Mercury, Mets, sure. Their jerseys had a lot going on. So you're talking about the Mets in black. Well, the Mercury Mets, they were black. They had Mercury Mets written on the front along with the Mercury symbol and the planet Mercury on it. And I think it was supposed to look like there was um, a shadow on the planet Mercury. So you, you had the Mercury symbol and the shadow of the Mercury symbol on the planet Mercury. So there was a lot going on. This was all supposed to take place in the year 2021. Why? Century 21 was sponsoring these uh, this promotion. The yeah. official realtor of the future. Of the future. <laughs> Zillow. <laughs> not content just to have the mercury symbol on the jersey it was also on on their cap mercury which was actually kind of cool that was the only thing i liked about it but of course it said nothing about mets but it just had the mercury symbol on the front of their hat as i had said, stated earlier on all these uniforms the names were written um vertically a mets pitcher jason isrenhausen his, oh, God. Yeah. Israelhausen does not fit when you put it vertically. So his name, they went with Izzy instead because they couldn't fit his actual last name on the back of, of his jersey. So He had pants. Why didn't they just cut it in half and put half down the leg of his pants? That's the future. I mean, yeah, that's, that, the fu- that is the future. Or they could have just put his area code on it. Or Oh, I like that. The Mets hosted the Pittsburgh Pirates, whose jersey had, and if you, you should, I will post photos of it, had an enormous, and I mean an enormous picture of a pirate on the front. The rest of the uniform was actually pretty understated. They had the cap sleeves, which were, I think, red and yellow, and the pants were pinstripes, and those didn't seem very, uh, you know, like they seem like something you would see now. And even the, the, the Pirates cap logo was pretty much what they normally wear, except there was red in the logo. So other than the giant, giant Pittsburgh pirate on the front, it was, it was fairly understated. But giant logo was the, seemed to be the, the theme. So many of these jerseys had, a like that was like turn ahead the clock, was putting a giant, giant logo on the front of your jersey. And I don't know, I mean, maybe they foresaw that we were going to be staring at screens all day and that our eyesight was going to be horrible. So we would need these giant logos so we could figure out which team was which. So some of the other oversized uh, logos I saw the Giants uniform had a giant SF like heart like kind of like a skew on the front. Uh, Kansas City had an oversized KC on the front. Minnesota had an oversized Twins logo. Um, but what they but actually I will say the Twins did something that was kind of kind of cool. They also wore a 60th anniversary patch because in 2021 was when their franchise was going to turn 60. So that was actually, I thought that was actually a lot more clever than the giant logo. The Diamondbacks had a giant snake that snaked around the front of, and, and back of the jersey. The Tigers also had like a, a, a tiger with a tail that went in the back, almost looking like the old um, Halloween costumes, Mark, from the 70s. There was definitely, nice. some of it felt a little bit like that. They, you know, 
know, they had some fun with it in the stadiums. The stadiums, like I said, much like when the, in the kingdom when they did it the first time, a lot of the scoreboards use futuristic graphics. Uh, the Mets turn their players into aliens on the scoreboard. You can actually Google and find, you know, Ma- Mike Piazza looking green with horns or whatever. So that's um, a Martian, though, not a Mercurian. I'm just going to pick nits on that. Oh, you're right. That's, no, you're that's the absolutely hell I'm right. Die on. He, yeah, you're right. He would be a Mercurian and not a Martian. My bad. During the Padres Giants game, the fielding positions were renamed. So the shortstop was renamed the intermediate station and left field was renamed left sector. And not just short Tron uh, 3000 or something like that. Now, how do you think the players felt about these jerseys? Now, we know that Griffey Jr., like he he got a kick out of them, but he not all the players love them. I'm going to guess that maybe none of them loved it. Well, that at least one quote. Pirates pitcher Greg Hansel was quoted as saying, "It looks like Halloween came early." And honestly, those pirates uniforms they do look like a '70s Halloween costume. So he got that one right. 2018, it was the 20th anniversary of the Turn Ahead the Clock promotion. Wait, so it, was the, the twi- it was the 20th anniversary of something that hasn't yet happened. Exactly. Oh, time, space, <laughs> continuum, paradise. I know, Damn right? It. Like, wrap your head around that. So the Mariners decided, and I do remember when this happened because by this point I was living here, um, the Mariners uh, were hosting the Royals because, you know, the Royals were there for both of their prior turn ahead the clock promotions. And the Mariners, their uniform was designed pretty close to what they wore 20 years ago. So they, I mean, and, I, and actually I was just at the game the other day and I saw some guy wearing that retro turn, turn ahead the clock jersey. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but their uniforms were pretty identical to what they had worn um, in 1998. Uh, I did notice a couple of differences. The names on the back for both the Mariners and the the Royals were written horizontally instead of vertically, and they didn't have cap sleeves. They actually did have like no sleeves, so they they went full on no sleeves. But I will say, the Royals' uniforms were pretty cool. They were totally different than what they had had uh, in in 1998. So you don't have you don't have you know one of their players looking like freaked out the way Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp, oh my Johnny God. Depp. Johnny Depp on the brain. You know Johnny Depp played for the Royals back in 1998. You I thought he played for the Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> oh. You're, wait, you're ooing me. You just said the Johnny Depp. I know, I just said Johnny Depp instead of Johnny Damon. Yeah, so close. Almost the same person, really. The jerseys actually for the for the Royals were pretty cool. They also had sleeveless, but they... The, they wore their their undershirts, and actually, most of the Mariners players too wore their baseball undershirts underneath the the, the sleeveless jerseys. The Royals script logo had a crown, really nice looking crown over the R. The word Royals, the players' names, and the numbers were all outlined in gold stitching, and the caps had a gold crown on it, like their baseball caps. So those were pretty cool. Did not love the helmets. The helmets actually had a, like a blue crown kind of around the, the the helmet and then the rest of it was gold. Uh, the Mariners actually wore the same helmets that the, they wore initially, which were also pretty hideous. They were like, they were those silver helmets that had their number on the front. So you had a lot of silver and gold going on. The irony though in all this is that, you know, 2021 is the past, but I guess because it was the 1998 promo, it's 2027. So 
me, we were having, we're still futuristic. I suppose it could still happen that we're going to be wearing, the guys are going to be wearing sleeveless jerseys. This is how multiverses form. I think so. I think so. So we, we might be, we might be in store for more turn ahead of the clock nights at the park formerly known as Safeco, now known as T-Mobile. T-Mobile 3000 Tron. I'm going to turn back the clock after the break. And I'd like to say that I have a palate cleanse based on what we've just heard, but I, I can't promise that. I think it's going to get worse. First of all, I have an even deeper respect for Pat Hughes, the radio voice of the Chicago Cubs, who does a masterly job every game of describing the uniforms that both teams are wearing. Because it's it's the radio, right? You, when you have to describe what someone is wearing, this this is hard. This is hard to go through. We obviously, if if it's ugly, it's easy to jump on that. But you know, we're not we're not talking about hemlines and fine stitching and stuff like that. We you know we're we're just talking about stuff that we saw. It is a tricky thing to talk about a very visual thing in a non visual medium. But like we said, we're going to post pictures online. We are. And Mark, before you jump in, I want to just give my sources for my turn ahead the clock promo deep dive. And there is a lot of information, but I got a lot of good information from UniWatch, which I love, which is Paul Lucas's site, uh, sportslogo.net, our old friend Wikipedia, and MLB Cut 4. So I just uh, wanted to cite my sources. And UniWatch, if you've never been on that that site Go now. You'll 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 be gone for a while. Yeah, thanks. And the, those were also my sources as well. Uh, Uniwatch is fantastic. Paul Lucas is a great writer. Chris Kramer, who runs sportslogos.net, mm, an invaluable resource. And you could just go down a rabbit hole of looking up your favorite team or your least favorite team and seeing what alternate road uniforms they wore in 2005, for example. I said I'm going to turn back the clock, but I'm not going to make it that easy. I'm going to give you three colors, Jackie, and I want you to tell me what year it is. Oh, dear. Okay. Harvest gold, avocado green, and powder blue. It must be 1979. Except that it's 1976. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a spirit of. I knew it was the 70s, okay? Yes, it is the 70s. The last days of disco. I don't know what what else was going on. A lot of ABBA. Let's just say there was a lot of ABBA. I mentioned, uh, so Harvest Gold and Avocado Green, strictly limited to ugly kitchens of the 70s. But Powder Blue is something that I want to dig into. It is one of my least favorite colors. It's just that kind of like wimpy, washed out, like whatever. But now imagine that on polyester uniforms and then imagine that on multiple teams. There were a number of teams that decided to wear all blue polyester pullover uniforms in powder blue. So the Philadelphia Phillies started the trend in 1972. They kind of went from their classic red and white colors to, oh, let's just put it all on a light blue robin's egg background. It's like, okay, for Robin Roberts, I, I presume. The 1975 Rangers also deck themselves out in in powder blue. But by 1976, we also saw the St. Louis Cardinals, the Montreal Expos, the Kansas City Royals. 
admittedly, the powder blue look is their classic uni because that's when they first became a real team and started getting into the playoffs, started making a name for themselves. The Cubs were the first team to go with the light blue look, but that was only for a couple seasons in the 40s. The Seattle Pilots and the Montreal Expos in their inaugural year of 1969 went to the powder blue look, but they were still wearing flannel. And so they basically looked like they were just wearing faded jeans. Apparently, you need that poly blend fabric to make powder blue look its most powdery and blue. I don't have a problem with powder blue. I actually really, I really like it. I agree with you that too many of these teams went for it when it had nothing to do with their team colors, but I'm just going to defend powder blue, but go ahead. I would like to point out to everyone, since I, as I just mentioned, this is a non-visual representation of a visual media. Jackie is wearing all powder blue, top and bottom, head to, head to toe, with just like some awkward colored stitching on the side. There you go. No name, of course. I think the thing for me was that all of a sudden there were five teams that were all wearing the same color uniforms. It starts to get a little tricky to tell them apart. And especially when you see a team like the Phillies and the the Cardinals, if you had to describe either of those teams' logos or uniforms, you would essentially say white jersey with red stitching, right? Red logo. It's weird that all of a sudden some of these teams adopted this look. Now, some people got it right in the 70s. And I want to talk about the teams that, in my opinion, were riding the mothership at that point. Oakland, with their all-electric yellow with green stripes look, and then that was the classic Reggie Jackson, Catfish Hunter kind of style. Baltimore had a day-glow orange top. It's an alternate uniform, but they still actually play in, in super bright orange on and off even through today, which I thought, thought was pretty cool. And, all right, maybe not my favorite, the Houston Astros, super stripey jerseys. Do you remember the super stripey jerseys? I do, and it had every hideous 70s color on it, except avocado green. I think that was the only color that was missing was avocado green. Yeah, big fat stripes, big fat horizontal stripes that took up the bottom two-thirds of the jersey and the sleeves. And I think it was supposed to be like a sunrise or a sunset or something, but it was bright orange, bright red, bright yellow. And whew, just a lot to look at. It reminded me of the uniforms people wore at Baskin Robbins in the 70s. All comes back to ice cream, doesn't it? At the turn, I had the clock thing. I assume Dippin' Dots was also a sponsor since it's the ice cream of the future. I mean, it should have been, but I didn't see that. And honestly, I did not know Dippin' Dots was called Dippin' Dots because the, it was introduced to me in the 90s as, and I was not a, a turn at the clock night, but it, it was someone was like, it's it's ice cream of the future. And I remember this these people sitting behind us and like putting the dots in my hand, like, yeah, look, look at this. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And then you eat it and you're like, whoa, the future must suck. Dippin' Dots are not that bad. I like astronaut ice cream. That's my ice cream of the future. Okay, fine. I do want to give a special negative shout out, even worse than the Astros look for 1976, the Cleveland Indians. 
as they were known in 1976, as well as, I think, 1900 through 2021, they wore pajamas. It was, again, kind of that pullover look, kind of a weird rusty red, but like a bright rusty red, and then a font that kind of looks like it could have been the Flintstones logo. (laughs) And it just looked kind of dumb. Anyway, nice job, Cleveland. And I think that was an alternate uniform as well. They didn't wear that all year, but they wore it enough to pop up and burn your retinas a little bit. Not as much as the Astros stripes, but you are going to talk about a very specific element of the 1976 look for one team when we come back. Since we're in the middle of the spirit of 76, do you remember the bicentennial? All I remember about the bicentennial is I was out painting fire hydrants to put Red little, white. little no, little the little Patriot boy faces on there. I think you're oh. like you're making them look like Paul Revere or something. I don't know. Everybody was doing it. It's true. There's a picture of me with a little T-shirt that has Snoopy on it, and he's dressed as a Patriot, and it says "Happy Birthday, America" on it. That's that's what I remember about 1976. Oh, and the long boats or the long ships or the tall ships. I don't, the, I don't know. The, the Clearly, tall I ships. remember it, the tall ships. And I remember there were like bicentennial moments on TV too to tell you about I don't know the history of our our, our country. But yeah, the bicentennial was a big deal. It's a big deal. There was bicentennial quarter too. And this was kind of pre-pong and stuff like that. So yeah, you kept those quarters. You didn't just go dunk them in in the arcade. Uh, fun fact, uh, gosh, it was probably about 20, 30 years ago. Uh, I was working with this guy and he's like, oh, it's like, I, I found a bicentennial quarter. And he comes up to a bunch of us, you know, we're having lunch. And he's like, I, I, well, how much do you think that's worth? We're like, 25 cents. It's not really worth anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, pal. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about 1976 because that was when a classic style of baseball hat came back in vogue, and that is the pillbox or military style hat. Uh, you know it. Uh, if, if, if you think of it, you're going to think of this one particular team. You're going to think about the Pittsburgh Pirates. The Pirates actually first wore the style after several National League clubs took part in a centennial celebration for 1976. Uh, Most clubs only wore them for a handful of times, but the Pirates actually made them their full-time cap for the next 11 seasons. So they wore them from 1976 through 1986. A little uh, background on on the pillbox hat, and at some point, Mark, we need to talk about baseball and hats because you'll love it, especially like 1800s when these things were kind of, there were, there were so many different styles of hats you could wear. So we have to go down that rabbit hole at some point. The pillbox hat was very prevalent in the mid to late 1800s, but by about 1905, again, Mark, in your wheelhouse, it was rarely seen on big league players. So, uh, but it was revived one more time prior to the 1976 season. The Philadelphia Athletics wore a horizontally striped pillbox hat from 1909 through 1914. And the caps can actually be seen on the Hall of Fame plaques of three members of the, this athletics team because this athletics team won a number of, of championships in there. Frank Baker, Chief Bender, great name, and Eddie Plank. So if you want to, if you go to the Baseball Hall of Fame, look up those guys and, and uh, you'll see them in their pillbox hats. 
So while the Pirates were wearing them, the Reds wore them, the Mets wore them, the Phillies, and I remember the Mets won, um, and I do remember the Phillies wearing them, the Cardinals. So they wore them throughout the centennial season. But the Pirates, hey, they made it their own. The cap, if you remember it, you usually think of that cap, it has stars on it, right? So why mm-hmm. does it have stars? I know you you know. So towards the end of the 19. 19- 78 season the pirates are actually challenging the the philadelphia phillies for first place in the division and at that time team captain and future hall of famer willie stargell decided to work with the equipment manager and so what became known as stargell stars onto the players caps and they gave the stars were an award for you know great plays or good games or spectacular things that the players performed during the games and it was kind of an homage to i mean you see it in college football right the players have stuff on their helmets whether buckeyes exactly and i think that i think the buckeyes were the first to do it or i'm sure someone will be like no it wasn't the buckeyes it was but the buckeyes i think were very famously known to do it so these stars were originally gold that were on these pillbox hats, but then they eventually had an S in the middle. So they were truly Stargell stars. So these guys would, you would see their hats filled with Stargell stars on them. Some, some of them had them on their helmets. And they did that, I think, not actually sure when they stopped doing it, but it must have been at least by 1986 when those caps came out of vogue. Are you sure that the S wasn't for Sister Sledge? Ah, uh, yes, the 1970 1970- nine season that was a big deal because that was the championship season it's when the pirates won the world series willie stargell would have the we are family song which was a big hit by sister sledge at the time they playing in the clubhouse pumping the music whenever they won or get get the players pumped so they became known as the we are family team the 1979 team that won the world series for the pittsburgh pirates sadly their last world series that they've won it's, for it's the foreseeable to, future. For the foreseeable. It's sad. It's a, it's, a, it's a city that is really, if they had an amazing team, they would get behind it. You know, yeah. that, that city is hungry for some, some good baseball. Sadly, Willie Stargell passed away in 2001. It wasn't that old. I think he was only 60, 61. So as an homage to Stargell, the players had a big Stargell star patch on the uniforms that they wore that year. That's a little look at the... Pirates pillbox hat and the Stargell stars. And I got most of my info for this from the Baseball Hall of Fame and the We Are Fanatics blog, which is apparently tied into the Fanatics website, which sells merch. When we come back, I'm going to drag us out of the 70s, but not without a moment or two that you'll want to stay in 1976 forever. We'll be right back. 1976, Jackie, Jackie Blue, the Ozark Mountain Daredevils, I'm pretty sure was out in 1976. We'll just say it was. Also, the nascent dawn of Yacht Rock. Punk hadn't really happened yet unless you were cool and it was already happening. You just couldn't buy any of the records yet. No, but I mean, if it happened the year of my guest, 1979, I was just, I was ahead of my time. Well, that was post-punk. So there you go. I was so close to a happy ending to the story of 1976 because the Chicago White Sox also had a powder blue uniform because they're the White Sox. It also had a red Sox logo, a Sox logo that was red. I just want to make that 
That would be really awesome. If that they, would be really weird, actually. Very yeah, that confusing. Would be, that would be an amazing turn ahead the clock. It's like the Chicago White Sox and the Boston Red Sox have merged in the future. <laughs> and now they're the Pink Sox. In the 70s, the White Sox had a powder blue uniform, red logo with the classic Sox logo on it. They decided they were done with that in 1975. So by 1976, the White Sox had gotten over powder blue. Thought this was going to be a nice little neat tie-up to this whole color scheme issue. But what comes next? Oh, what comes next is just incredible. Bill Veck, who is someone that we need to spend time talking about, one of the maniacs of MLB ownership. He was the owner of the Chicago White Sox at that point, before the 1976 season started. He decided that it needed to be a big uniform refresh. Get people excited. Get people talking about the team before the season even started. Other owners might say, let's get good players. (laughs) But Bill Vex said, let's get new uniforms. They were kind of already a hot mess. They had big, funky black collars. And I don't remember ever seeing collars on a baseball uniform. A weird font mismatch of a serif font called Tuscan that said Chicago on it that looked very old-timey. And then on their hats, they had that weird techno socks in, in a very modern font. So you had you were already sort of mismatched. We've kept it above the waistline <laughs> so far. We actually have. We really haven't gone into the pants. The pants are usually pretty, usually pretty tame, but you're... You're yeah, you're right. We can story. We, we, we can just we can just we, not we go can, into We pants. can skip the pants. Let's just talk about the hats and the jerseys. Okay, that we're good. Except that Bill Veck announced during spring training that the White Sox would wear shorts as part of their uniform during games that season. Why not skirts? <laughs> I know, right? Here's a quote from Bill Veck in the spring training phase of 1976. Players should not worry about their vanity, but instead their comfort. Actually sounds like the George Costanza episode of Seinfeld. Wow. Wow. Okay. If it's 95 degrees out, an athlete should be glad to put on short pants and forget his bony knees. (laughs) Hell, I've got a worse looking knee than any of my players. He pulled up his pants leg and revealed his artificial leg. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Wow. I don't even know where to go with this. I don't either. And I I think uh, that was kind of the end of the press conference (laughs) because people were like, what just happened? Four months into the season, the shorts had not been worn. Now, granted, the season starts in April. It's a little chilly on the south side of Chicago to be wearing shorts. Bill Vec is a big talker. That was one of his magical abilities, although he would actually then execute all sorts of crazy talk into action. But sometimes he would just be flapping his lips. So some people thought, yeah, this, these shorts, they're never going to happen. Some intrepid reporters went back and kept asking questions. So the second baseman for the White Sox, Jack Brohammer, said, I'm not going to wear short pants unless they make me wear a halter top, too. I wish they had worn halter tops. And halter tops were very popular in the 70s. Absolutely. And tube tops. But yeah, we'll, we'll go with the halter top for Jack Brohammer. Goose Gossage was the star reliever for the the White Sox at that point, and he requested a little notice. Little notice is in quotes. So that he could remove all of the hair from his legs. You want your gams to look good if you're showing them off. That's right. Now, 
1976, I just want to parse this just a little bit. It said remove all the hair, not not shave all the hair from his legs, because it was 1976. Because who wears short shorts? Girls nair. wear short shorts. So you just need yeah. a little nair. Yeah, you actually, you nair. need a lot of nair for some of those for, for things. For goose gossage, absolutely. Well, it's August 8th, 1976, against the Kansas City Royals. The Kansas City Royals seem to bumble their way into any number of weird uniform situations. They do. Why is that? I mean, I don't... How does that happen for this poor team? And this was what George Brett's Kansas City Royals, right, at this point? That, that would be. The Royals player that was most quoted after this game was first baseman John Mayberry, who said if anybody came, got on base wearing those short shorts, that he'd give them a little kiss when they came over. Oh. Because there's nothing quite like a man wearing shorts to express their feminine side. I mean, shorts are not really masculine or feminine. They're just shorts. No, but I've seen a lot of guys wearing shorts that don't look good in them, and they keep wearing them, myself included, because, you know, it's hot out. But you don't wear short shorts. I don't think I've ever seen you in short shorts. That is true. I do not wear short shorts. Yeah, I was surprised to see that that Big John Mayberry decided that uh, he needed to throw a little homophobia in there. And uh, because homophobia, of guy... misogyny, you know, it's the 70s. Why yeah. not everything? A little racism on top. There we go. As it turns out, the White Sox defeated the Royals 5-2 to two in that game. So guess what? The shorts must be working. Ooh. Many White Sox players expressed their satisfaction with the uniform, including Jack Brohammer, whose two-run single in the sixth extended the lead to 3-0. I like them. They're very comfortable, Brohammer said. Everybody seems to like them. Imagine what winning one game can do to the morale of a team, and it must be the shorts. It's got to be the shorts. Short mojo. That game, as it turns out, was a doubleheader because this was also the 70s. It's like, let's do what Ernie Banks says and play two a lot. It got colder, and so the White Sox put on their regular uniforms and promptly lost the second game 7-1. to one. Oh, the short mojo. And weirdly, Bill Beck then put the shorts wearing in the hands of the manager instead of dictating it and said, it's uh, from now on, it's up to Richards, Paul Richards, the, the manager of the team. It's up to Richards to decide when, when they'll wear them. When it gets hot enough, I'm sure they'll want to wear them. Oh, yeah, definitely. Sign me up. Well, of course, this was the talk of the town and the league, yet the White Sox were not wearing the shorts very often. Weird. So August 21st, so that'd be about two weeks later, Bill Vec announced the shorts were coming back, and guess what? Attendance went up. Well, I mean, yeah, you want to check out the player's legs. Like, come on, yeah. hey, baby, let me see those hot gams of yours. Yeah. I'll stop using the word gams. I don't know why I'm using words. Apparently, you and John Mayberry can be sitting together up in the stands catcalling people. Apparently. An amazing thought. And then they wore shorts the next day as well, and attendance went back down because I guess it was no longer that exciting. And The novelty was, wore off. That was it. Did the skin on their, uh, on their legs, I'm sure. Sliding well, with shorts on can't be fun. The shorts were paired with very tall socks. I think you probably had about half the thigh exposed and kneecap. You're going to slide on that rough surface or actually like slamming into the, the base itself. Bad enough when you're wearing pants covering your entire leg. Yeah, that's just got to hurt. I mean, it's got to hurt. No discussion of road rash. That's probably uh, was too sensitive of a topic to, to discuss in the 
Chicago Sun-Times of 1976. But I do want to shout out Jack Brohammer because he holds a distinction that it's possible will never be topped. He's the only player to hit a home run wearing shorts. Could happen. Turn back the clock, turn ahead the clock. Have they worn them in a turn back the clock night? Have they done any type of like retro thing with the shorts? Or have they stayed away from that? They were gonna, Mm -hmm. but then something happened. Oh, was it the year 2020? It was the year 2016. And it was throwback day at Comiskey Park or Guaranteed Rate Field or whatever the hell it's called now. It's Comiskey Park. It's Guaranteed Rate. It's just an awful, awful name. The White Sox were going to wear their throwback uniforms to 1976. Sadly, they were going to wear an alternate version of the 76 uniform, which meant pants and not shorts. But they were going to wear actually an all-black jersey with the big black collar. And it kind of looked pretty cool, I will say. Pitching for the White Sox that day was Chris Sale. Oh, I remember the story now. Now, Chris Sale, the noted hothead. I feel like we talk about Chris Sale in this podcast somewhat frequently now, and we generally say noted hothead because he is kind of a notable hothead, I guess, for want of a better term. He, he's an emotional guy. He can't, yeah. you know, he's, doesn't, he needs not to be so emotional all the time. Honey, yeah. keep that in check. He decided that the White Sox were more interested in PR and jersey sales than they were in winning games. So I guess to put it another way, they were more interested in sales than in sale. But nicely done. He told the White Sox he was not going to wear the uniform. And they said, this is your job. You're part of a team. It's throwback night. You're our marquee pitcher. This is a big deal. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's going to be watching. Chris Sale went into the equipment room during batting practice and took scissors to all of the uniforms of the throwback variety, rendering them unwearable. And so all of a sudden, the White Sox had nothing to wear except their old uniforms from the night before. That was kind of the last straw for Chris Sale in Chicago. He had a multi-game suspension, and then the White Sox liquidated him as quickly as they could. And I, they made him the Red Sox problem. He continues to currently be the Red Sox problem, at least contractually. <laughs> so he just rode his bicycle out of there. That's right. That's right. So yeah, 1976, the only year that we've ever seen shorts on the field. It is possible that that will never come back because a number of pundits have suggested that the players union would not allow the risk of injury of someone tearing up their legs, sliding while wearing shorts. Just, it's just a damn shame, I tell you. You can still wear shorts. I can still wear shorts. I'm wearing shorts right now. Me too. I'm the spirit of 76 right here, man. No big collars, though. You do have a collar, but not a big one. I will work on that. I will get me one of those giant 70s style collars and, and wear that for the next next episode. The fans are heading home. The grounds crew is on the field. And we will see you next time at the ballpark. That's our pal Ron Lewis on the stadium organ. And I'm Jackie Micucci. And I'm Mark Butler. And this was Bad Hops. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of Bad Hops is prohibited. Unless you like us, review us, or subscribe to Bad Hops. Find us at, at Bad Hops on Insta and everywhere else. We wear short shorts. Make it work.